Thank you, Lord God, that that's not just what you do, but it's what you do because it's who you are. You are love, Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you that your love never fails. Even when we're unlovely, you still love. God, we thank you for the truth of your word that anyone here today, no matter where they come from or what they've done, they turn to you, they will experience your forgiveness, your acceptance, and your love. We thank you for that. Pray that you would just be blessed in all that's said and done here today. Pray that you would open up our spiritual ears and eyes to see your deep truths. We might understand them and how that it might affect our lives when we live by the truth. Thank you, God. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I got to tell you what I just did. I just got to do something, probably one of the coolest things I've ever got to do. Uh, Miss Cassie was talking about sharing her testimony and how every one of us has a testimony. Amen. Well, um, I was seven years old and I got saved. Mom and dad set me down and they told me about Christ and how I could ask Jesus to forgive me my sins and become the savior of my life, be lord of my life. So I did that. And I had my best friend in the world. We've been best friends since we were probably like four or five. I mean, we were inseparable. And so what do you do when something awesome happens to you? You share it with your best friend. So at seven years old, when I got saved, the next day, I shared that with my best friend. Well, he got saved too at seven years old. But he never got baptized until about 30 minutes ago, and I got to do it. <laughs> uh, man, that's cooler than the other side of the pillar right there. That's, that was fun. I love it. I love it. And then he baptized his wife, and man, it's just awesome. And so uh, God is good, isn't he? He is so good. I want you to turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. I often go to Nehemiah. such a powerful book, and it's powerful for the the time that we're in now. This is 9-11, and um, it dawned on me this week that only us older ones even know what that is. Miss <laughs> um, Emily, uh, this week, we were talking about today's sermon, and, and, uh, and, and she was building that, and she's like, well, I know a little bit about it, but not much. I'm like, yeah, you weren't even born then. I didn't, you don't think about that, but I remember exactly where I was when I heard the news that our nation was under attack. And so you, if you were close to adulthood, you also remember exactly where you were at that moment. And you know, as horrible as it was and how it shook this country, um, the truth of it is, it's, it's not nearly as, it wasn't nearly as dangerous because it brought our country together. I don't know if this is making any sense to you. Our church houses were filled. Our people, even who didn't, this, that didn't agree with one another, came together in unity. But what's happening in our nation now is far more dangerous than what happened on that day. Amen. Because it's dividing us. It is uh, just the, 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 the division, the, the perversity, the, the throwing away everything good, calling what is evil good and what is good evil. Uh, all of that that's happening in our nation today, it can be a little concerning, it can be a lot concerning, and it can be uh, a little discouraging. So, 
uh, I'll be honest with you, discouragement doesn't do much good. And so I want to look in the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 2, we have the nation of Israel. They've been going to captivity for 70 years. I'm going to kind of speed through the story. God laid it upon the heart of their captive captor king <laughs> to restore them back to Jerusalem, back to their home, uh, and, and also to rebuild the temple. That's the book of Ezra. After they come back to build the temple, now you have Ezra and Nehemiah. They actually happen about the same time, but Ezra's a little bit earlier. So again, they've gone in captivity for 70 years. They come back. The temple had previously been destroyed. Book of Ezra, they build it back. Now they're saying, but their city, is, now we just got this temple sitting on the hill. We don't really have a city. We don't have any protection. Well, the truth is they wouldn't need any protection. They're under the protection of this other kingdom. And so you can see why when they go to building a wall around the city, it might be a little concerning to this other kingdom. Why do you need a wall? Who are you, you, trying to, you trying to revolt against us? And so we have this back and forth a little bit between Ezra and Nehemiah during this time period in which one king says, no, nope, stop the construction. Another king comes back along and says, oh, no, you can go ahead and do the construction. And so here's what's happening in this time period. With that, uh, the people kind of feel like they've been shaken a little bit, a little bit back and forth. But I need you to see with me in uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17, that what God has calling them to do, they begin to, to work at it. Verse 17, then I said to them, you see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me. Our God is good. Amen. Amen. And also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. And so I want to look at this passage of scripture as not just a working for God, but this is a work from God. So what God is doing is he is commanding them that, yes, you're going to go back and restore and we know this from Isaiah 45, where Isaiah prophesied that you will go back and restore Jerusalem, that you will go back and rebuild the temple, you will rebuild the walls, and that, and that as they lay their hands to it, God says, but I'm the one doing it. I'm the one doing it. And so he, he tells them, Nehemiah tells them how that we're going to do this, and chapter 3 kind of lays it all down. We're not going to read all of these verses because it can really be tedious, but what you're seeing is each family, and I've, I've seen these ancient type walls in that these protective walls around a city, their houses would actually be built into the wall. And so one wall of the house is the city wall. And so their house is built into the side of the wall. And so as you see in chapter three of Nehemiah, he says, all right, this family, you work on the wall in front of your house. And then this family, you work on the wall in front of your house. This family you work on. And it's just all laid out there in chapter three. And so I want you to notice that this is a work from God. God is directing our nation, the United States of America. You work on your family, and 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 it'll all be for our good as a whole. Amen? I'm telling you, we can watch the news and get discouraged and we'll throw stuff at it, <laughs> at the TV set. He's like, I'm tired of watching this garbage, this filth, and all this discouragement. I'm about to lose my mind. <laughs> or you could say, you know what? Let's go back to God's plan. 
I'm going to lead my family in the ways of the Lord, and you leave your family in the ways of the Lord. And, and what's my protection is actually you building up your family, and y'all see where we're going with that? As each, and so you're going to see some officials here that God has called them to different positions of leadership and authority and to, to, uh, to spread God's culture in this area. But every family had a job to do. Every family. Because some people look for somebody to, boy, if we had so-and-so in such-and-such a position, if, if God just had somebody to do something. Well, he has all of us to do something, and that is everyone work right there in front of your home. Right there in your home. And so here we are in uh, chapter 4. And during this working process, as they are progressing and they're building the wall up, you have some enemies and they want to come along and discourage them. They want to make fun of them and mock them. Even said, man, the wall that y'all going to build would be so rickety and raggedy, a fox jumps on it, it's going to fall over. And so they're just trying to stir up a a stir. And so in chapter 4, verse 8, What you see is a clearing of the confusion, and all of them conspired together, the enemies, to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. So when it comes to our lives, sometimes we just need to quiet all the noise. Everybody with me? I mean, sometimes I need to turn it off. You know, you can tell how old I am. Turn it off. (laughs) I didn't turn it off. Some of these young people are like, what did he just do? with? What was... <laughs> Sometimes you just need to turn it off. And so just, just stop listening to the noise and stop listening to all the yahoos and just quieten the confusion. And then verse 10, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. So sometimes we just need to clear the clutter. Amen? Sometimes we need to quiet the confusion And then there's also, we need to clear the clutter. Sometimes our lives are so full of doing anything and everything. We've got so many things going on, whether it be uh, more work than we need to buy more stuff than we need uh, because we've got more hobbies than we need. Uh, Whatever it is, sometimes we just need to simplify our lives and get back to what God has called us to do. And you build up the home, you build up your home, you build up your home in the ways of the Lord. Verse 13 Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families, with their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, notice there's nobles, and then there's leaders. God called them to positions of authority in the city, but then there's everybody else. And by the way, I am part of everybody else, and you're a part of everybody else. And so he said to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. In the previous service, we were singing that song, he's too good to not believe. And as as we're singing that song, one of the ladies that that, uh, I know, she comes down to the altar during that song and, and, and she's praying and I'm like, that song is exactly what she's experienced. Cancer disappeared. And then I got to thinking, during, just during that last service, I knew of five people in the congregation at that very instant it had cancer at one time, God healed it. I'm telling you. One of the guys, when you, when you leave here, he'll probably be standing out there in the hallway. He's supposed to be dead right now. 
about, I think it was about nine months ago, they gave him six months to live. And they said, we can start treatment, but it probably won't do any good. You need to get your affairs in order. He had God's people pray over him. He goes back to the doctor and they're like, we're going to find no cancer. We don't find any cancer. Brother Tommy over here, he called me mad one day because uh, he had had his doctor's appointment and, and I go over there, he's sitting in his truck over in the parking lot right there. And uh, he said, you know what them doctors cut on me? And there wasn't even no cancer in there. He was mad. He said, like, they cut on me for nothing. I said, Brother Tommy, you now have evidence of a miracle. <laughs> We have evidence. God, they got pictures of cancer. They go in there rooting around. They got no cancer. There's evidence. Yeah. Amen. If he's done it before, he can do it again. Yeah. He is still a wonder-working God. Amen. And here's what Nehemiah says. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Amen. Isn't your family worth fighting for? I'm telling you, it's worth fighting for. I, I, I think it's a pathetic mentality to say, well, this nation's just gone too far. I don't think there's anything we can do about it. I'm not even going to go vote. Can I slap you around a little bit? If, that, yeah. <laughs> if that's your mentality, please come visit with me so I can give you the right foot of Christian fellowship. Just please get that out of your, out of your mind. Because when you take the approach of inactivity and do nothing, that's exactly what God will do too. But if we apply action to our faith, because faith without action is not faith at all, but if we move upon the principles of God's word and say, yes, Lord, I will do what you've called me to do, and I'm going to expect you to do what you said you was going to do in response to what I do, there's power in that, amen? There's nothing, no power in taking a passive approach and sitting on our hands. And so as they continued in each family building their portion of the wall, chapter 6, verse 15, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. 52 days. I have walked around the top of the wall of Jerusalem. It's a big old wall. And, and I mean, 52 days this thing's built. And it's amazing what God's people can do when they put their mind to it and put, put their back to it. Amen. Verse 16, And it happened when all the enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. No, it went from God's people being disheartened because of the mess of everything to now the enemies are disheartened because man. Because man, look, in their own, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. And if you are seeing, and you're the enemy of this people group, and that people group is now seeing the miraculous happen, you just realize, I'm on the wrong team. <laughs> and they got a big God, and he's mighty. So we see this, this activity uh, and, and how God is blessing as the people put their, uh, their back into their faith. Amen. Chapter 8 of the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 10. So, uh, actually, let's start in verse 1. So, in chapter 8, now we have the wall built, and Nehemiah and Ezra the priest calls the people together, and they call the people together so that they can read the word. And I love this. I need to remind you what the first point was, is they had a work from God. I didn't say they were working for God, but that's kind of the case, but... It was a work from God. 
God said, I want you to do your part, do it with your family. And they would have a tool in, in, in one hand, whether it be a hammer or a trowel, and they had a sword in the other hand. They said, I'm going to work, and I'm going to fight. Whichever one needs to happen, that's what's going to happen. By the way, you can do some pretty good fighting with a hammer. But anyway, they, <laughs> I, need, I need one free hand. So they are doing the work which was from God. But now in chapter 8, they're listening to the word of God. Chapter 8, verse 1, Ezra the priest, he gets out there and he stands on this platform that was built for preaching and he just starts reading the Bible, reading the Old Testament, the, the law of Moses, starts reading it to the people. And the people start realizing, we've never heard this, which was a shame. Because they were supposed to teach it to their children and to their children's children. And it was supposed to be on the, their hands and over their, their heads and over their doorposts. They were supposed to remind themselves of the word of God constantly. And they're blown away because they had been neglected. But then they said... We, they were also brokenhearted over the fact that we failed in these areas. And they start crying. But if you look in verse 9, And Nehemiah was the governor, Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. And do not mourn nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet. I like that. That sounds like a medium rare steak with a sweet tea. That's what that sounds like to me. He said, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, there is place. There is place for... Um, burdened hearts we obviously need to be a people who repent of sinfulness but there is power in praise there is power in rejoicing there is something when when you get ecstatic over what God is doing don't think God's gonna sit back and and, and turn a blind eye of that like, no look God is at work we got a word from him Isaiah 45 says that he's going to rebuild the walls as we put our back to the labor. We got a word from God. And so they begin working, and then they, they saw the word, and like, oh, we don't line up with the word. They said, hey, 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 there'll be time for that. But we don't need you discouraging one another. We need you to encourage one another. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You get joyful in Jesus. Amen. When you get excited in him, that will strengthen you that you can continue to, even in discouraging times, even in chaos in your family, even in garbage around you, maybe in your workplace, you just get yourself joyful in Jesus and watch the environment around you change. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So the, the, the Levites quiet all the people saying, be still for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink medium rare sirloins and sweet tea to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Amen? Amen. I need you to, I need you to catch this one thing. The main, the main point in this, and I, I've preached these passages before. I love the book of Nehemiah, and it's so, so pertinent to our day. But what I has been 
just heavy on my heart coming up to this sermon is this right here. The moment you begin to doubt the validity of these scriptures, your life, your family, the world around you is ruined. I, I just can't stress this enough. You got, if you let some egghead convince you that these are just a collection of ancient writings that we're not sure that we can actually trust them, if you let some knucklehead convince you of all that garbage, your, your spiritual life is headed for the dumps. I, I've seen it over and over again. I've seen it with individuals. I've seen it with families. I've seen it with, we are seeing it with denominations. Entire denominations. Say, well, we're not really sure. You know, maybe in its original original writings, but man has flaws and, and he's probably flawed these scriptures. I'm going to tell you something, that's a bunch of hogwash and I believe this from table of contents to maps. <laughs> Every word of it's true. It is the infallible, inerrant, in other words, it's got no problems with it. There's no errors in it. The inspired word of God. Amen? And not only did it, the origination come from him the protection of it comes from him too well I'm not sure that we can trust it I am absolutely certain that I can trust this word I can promise you I can tell you story after story of those who come along and said I'm not so sure I can trust the Bible and I've watched their life come apart at the seams seen their families come apart at the seams and we've got denominations right now that are closing doors and bankruptcies and lawsuits because they weren't so sure that's truly the Word of God. Can I confirm to you that I promise you it is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. With no fault, no error, no problems in it, and I believe every bit of it. Every comma, period, every exclamation point, that's the Word. I base my life on it. I do. I base my life on it. There was one time when Billy Graham was doing a youth camp out in California and, and uh, he had a friend that was beginning to ask those same questions of, can we really trust these scriptures? Do we, knew, do we know for sure that this is a reliable word of God? There's a movie actually based on that friend of Billy Graham and Billy Graham. Billy Graham goes out in the woods and he... He gets out there by himself in the dark, what's a moonlit night, and he puts that Bible on a stump. As he lays the Bible on the stump, he said, Lord, I don't understand everything in that book. He said, but I'll live by it if you help me to do so. I'll tell you, Billy Graham died, was it 99 years old? Something like that. A solid and firm and peaceful, just a God-honored man. That friend of his, he died in a nursing home, miserable. Family was gone, about lost his mind. True story. I'm telling you, this is the Word of God. And you can trust it. You can trust it. If you, if you got questions, and you say, ah, I, may, I may have found a contradiction in the Bible... And I just uh, help you to know, you're wrong. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I encourage the first service, I encourage you too. If you ever have any questions, if the, this book is trustworthy, 
and you start to doubt it, so would you please come see me? Because I will beat you about the head and shoulders with this <laughs> and let you know it is the Word of God. Amen. Amen. Let me get off that, but that's really where I wanted you to go today to understand this is the truth of God's Word. Hebrews, we're going to wrap it up in Hebrews chapter 6. I love the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17, thus God determining to show more abundantly, now I'm going to tell you something, there's a bunch of big old collegiate words in these verses of Scripture, just hang with me, all right. That God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability, it's a big one, but it's a good one, all right, hang on there, of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie. That's clear enough, right? Yeah. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Let me explain. That word immutable means unchanging. Unchanging. It says that we have a God who has made a promise to a people. That people was the Israelites. He made a promise to a people, and then he backed up his promise with an oath. I, I was raised in a Christian home, and, and uh, mama would get on to me if I said something like, I swear. Think, what's wrong with that? Oh, I'd get in trouble. And even worse, if I, I swear to God, yeah. oh, I'd get a whooping. He's saying, what's wrong with that? Well, in the scriptures, God says, don't make oaths, especially hasty oaths. And, uh, and if I have to apply God's name to it, then uh, I must be an untrustworthy person to start with. Anyway, she didn't explain all that. She just whooped me. <laughs> so it is scriptural. But here's what God says. Though you might not be able to back up your oath, God says, I can. And so he made a promise to a people and he said, I promise and I swear to God. Because he can back it up. And so there's two things that can't be broken. God's promises and God's oaths. And he says he tied both of them together with, with referring to the children of God. And we who have fled for refuge to him lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Even if all the world is shaking, I got an unshakable God. Amen? I got an unshakable God. And, and it goes on to say, verse 19, this hope... We have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Now, I had a vision early in the morning this week as I was thinking about this verse of Scripture. And it's, it, it, was a, it was just a picture of there is this boat off the shore. And in this day and age in which the Bible was written, uh, these big old wooden vessels would be uh, anchored out off of the shore and because the shore would be full of rocks or it would get shallow and it would be dangerous. And so they would take, they would bring that boat into port. They would throw out the anchor. And so uh, if you don't know much about the boats, on the front end of the boat, they would anchor it off there. And so then when the waves come up, the boat can still move, staying off the rocks. If the wind blows, the boat can shift and change, staying off the rocks. But if it broke loose from the anchor, that boat is toast. And everybody on it, it'll be bashed up against the rocks, it's done. God gives me a vision of some idiot down there on his knees with the anchor and the rocks behind, 
And he's down there sawing on an anchor rope with a knife. I'm like, what kind of a weird... And that's the vision of somebody saying, I'm not sure we can trust the anchor that we're holding on to. And their life will be wrecked against the rocks with the swaying and the moving and the constant changing with the chaos of this world, with the wind and the waves and the insanity that goes on, with the shaking of all that is around us. But I have a God who is the rock of my salvation and my hope is in him. And let the wind blow and let the waves rise, but my God don't change and neither will I. He's unshakable. And he is the one I'm holding on to. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Let me explain this real quick. Real quick. Big old boat. You can't get up there on the bank. Well, how am I going to get up there on the bank? Anybody ever rode a cruise ship before? We, were, we rode a cruise ship. And we we uh, anchored off the coast of Belize, and they brought us a little old boat. Come out there with that little boat. We hopped on that little boat. Off we go again. Can't get the big boat up there by the shore. This little boat in the Bible times is called a forerunner. Forerunner. Here we are, church. We are the body of Christ. And we're holding on to the truth of God's word. And it is true. And it is unmoving. It is unshakable. It's based upon the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus is called the word made flesh. Amen. And we are basing our everything on the truth of God's word. And Jesus has gone on before us, it says, behind the veil, as our forerunner. And he's gone on to glory. And his resurrection is the proof of the promise. Are you with me? There's been a lot of eggheads and a lot of nerds that thought they could disprove this Bible. And they were real smart, way smarter than me. And they went to task trying to disprove this Bible until they until they got shipwrecked on the resurrection. And when they come to the resurrection, it is a provable, one of the most provable events in history. And when they, when they, they hit on the resurrection, what happens to them over and over and over and over? They get saved. And these opponents of God's word now becomes followers of God's word and preachers of God's word. I know some of them. And so here is this forerunner. Let's read it. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. That's Jesus. He's gone on before us. Amen. He is resurrected. He is seated with, with God on high, where the forerunner, Jesus, has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So I've just taken a whole lot of theology and tried to break it down just a little bit of time. But here's the truth of God's word. God's word is true. Jesus' resurrection is the proof. He's gone before us. He's risen from the dead. And the faith that I have is in an unshakable word of God, an unshakable gospel, an unshakable God. Here's what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen? Amen. We have a, a world that is 
just seems to be in chaos constantly. It just seems to be crazy. It's, I mean, it's just sometimes I look around and say, can it get any crazier? And then it proves it can. <laughs> it can get crazier. And uh, I just, I just, my mind's boggled and I just, it, it can, church, if we're not careful, we can get discouraged. If we're not careful, we can lose hope. I take that back. Here's the thing. This is interesting. You cannot have your, your hope stolen from you. You can only surrender it. You can only give it away. Hope is yours to have and keep if you continue to trust in the trustworthiness of this God and this word. What is hope? It's an expectation of a positive outcome. I already have the proof of it. My Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he's risen from the dead. He, didn't ever, he, he never did die again like Lazarus and some of the other ones. He's risen from the dead proving that he is God. He is all-powerful, and that He can raise you and me from the dead too. Amen. I have a really good friend who works for Homeland Security. May or may not be in this room at this time. And uh, which, by the way, is an organization that was formed by that day. When that day happened, that organization began. It was a response from that anti-terrorism organization he was sharing with me of how in one of their practices in one of their drills I may I may have this close they got these guys in kind of a, a sling kind of deal and then spinning them around and bumping them and they're, they're blindfolded and bumping them and spinning them and, and just trying to just totally mess them up and then they throw them out of the thing and yank off the blindfold and they're supposed to pick out amongst the crowd the threat and the good people. And can you imagine, I don't know if y'all have ever done Dizzy Lizzy, the spin around the bat thing. Can you imagine drawing a gun like that? And so he said, but those who succeeded in that drill, they knew the secret. When everything was spinning and everything was chaos, they knew the secret. They bowed down and touched something solid. I don't know if you recognize, but this world is spinning like crazy and it's chaotic and, and, and we keep getting bumped around and spun around. But let us bow down to the one who is unchangeable, unmovable, immutable, unshakable. Let's hold on to our good God. He says in Malachi 3, I am God and I do not change. Amen. He is God and he does not change. Let's continue to hold on to him. Father God, I thank you for who you are. You can't lie. You can't break a promise. And you can't change your character. You are good and you are God and you are love. And that's who you've always been. That's who you always will be. A mazillion, Brazilian years from now, that's still be who you are. you don't change when everything else seems to be shaking and shifting and changing you're still God you don't change your word doesn't change it was true it is true it will forevermore be true and I base my life on it 
You've always proven yourself trustworthy. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.